thank you so much. It's lovely to be here, and I bring greetings from Tiptoe in the middle of the New Forest. That's underwater this morning. Lots of trees down. Um, but I managed to get here, found it actually very uh, much more straightforward than I anticipated. Um, but they do say uh, you should always be doing things that are fresh, that you haven't done before. And uh, I'm, I'm finding I'm doing two things that I haven't done before already this morning. One is cafe church. Didn't know what to expect. I thought we'd have pots brewing on all the tables, you know, lots of biscuits. <laughs> and also, I've not had one of these on before, so I hope it works all right. Does it sound all right? Is it good? Excellent. Good. Well, God has um, put a word on my heart for you this morning, and I really want to bring it to you, but I want to minister it. I want to bless you from the heart of God. Bless you from the heart of God. See, the word isn't theory. It's reality. His word is a living word, and God has been speaking to me, and God wants to speak something to each one of us this morning. He wants to penetrate the fog, penetrate sometimes the stupor that is in my head and heart, and really let us know that God wants to communicate with each one of us. Each one of us is loved by God. Just receive that. I bless you this morning. God loves you. God loves you. He knows you. And he's got the perfect word to speak right into your heart. And I believe that uh, the title of what I would give this morning is The God Who Is Still Calling. He is still calling. The world is in a bit of a mess, but right from the beginning, when Adam chose to defy God's instruction and do it his own way, he came into the garden. He knew exactly where Adam was. But he came in and hear the heart cry of God. Adam, where are you? Where are you? He knew he was hiding behind the trees. But God's heart has been calling to every descendant from Adam, including every single one of us here, since he's been calling, calling, calling. And we read in the word lots of people that he called, don't we? Give me some. An example, stories. Jeremiah? Samuel? Disciples? Paul? Moses? Lots of them. God called, called. And recently I was reading about Israel, who were a people called out of Egypt to get into the promised land. But there's a particular scripture that hit me, and I do want to get to Luke chapter 13. So stick your finger in there. But just as a prelude, I want to say, Exodus 19, 4 to 6, God says to Israel, you saw what I did to Egypt 
and I carried you on eagle's wings to bring you into the land of promise, into Canaan, into the place I've promised you? No. He said, I carried you on eagle's wings, and this is what has stuck with me, and to bring you to myself. To bring you to myself. God's calling is to himself. He loves you, and his call is to you, to himself. It's not to church. People are fed up with church, even if it's cafe church. People want an experience of Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about denominations. It's not about processes. He wants people to encounter him. He did it all to bring Israel to himself. And God is still calling. That's the theme of my word this morning. God is still, still calling. If I was to say to you that the body of Christ globally, the huge proportion of people that have been born again of the Spirit of God around the world, global statistics very reliable source, can't remember the name of it. But the vast proportion of the body of Christ is female, is under 25, and very, very poor. Exceedingly poor. You see, we have a distorted picture in the Western world. I went to a church service in Hordle the other day, and I could count five people under 70. Gray heads everywhere, and I recognize I am too. Very elderly population. But the, work, the Church of Jesus Christ, actually around the world, God is still calling, 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 calling. And where we are in our culture, that call is going out all the time from God to you, to your heart, to come in, to tuck under, to know his presence and to know his healing and to know his equipping because we're called not just to get saved but to become functioning members of the body of Christ doing the same thing that Jesus did. See, the body of, what was Jesus' body doing when he did his three years of ministry on earth as a prelude to the cross that we celebrated this morning. We sang about it. Andy, you did that beautifully. Well done, you. Do it again. Do it again. I just break off you any negativity or words that you've heard that actually make you anxious around that because there's an anointing on you, and I just want to encourage you, do it more, do it more. Grow in the ministry that God has given you. Don't worry about singing, but just keep doing it. But there is a calling for the body of Christ to function in what Jesus was doing. So what was he doing? 
on earth. He was bringing the word. He was bringing the truth of God. What else? Healing the sick. Yeah, bringing the word, teaching, healing the sick. Luke 9.11 says, God welcomed the people. Welcome. Your welcome's really good this morning. Really enjoyed it. Really felt blessed with the welcome. Jesus welcomed the people. He taught them, and then he healed them. And he did that by casting out demons, by laying hands on the sick. We're going to look at somebody today where Jesus dealt with the whole person. We're going to read, sorry, I do get carried away. We're, we're going to read um, from Luke chapter 13. Um, and maybe, maybe somebody would like to read it for me so it's not all my voice. We're all called to be ministers, as Silas said this morning, reminded us we're all here to serve the Lord. So Hey, Luke 13, but before, put your finger in there. Um, but before we read it, I do just want to tell you a story. It won't seem terribly connected to start with, but at the end of my preaching, I'm going to draw out the reason for the story. I don't know how many of you have gone to Israel. Yes? Show of hands, one or two. Well, you missed a treat. Do plan to go if you can. I used to go three or four times a year to Israel uh, with a charity who was uh, involved there and um, sometimes had to travel on my own. And this particular occasion, you know how you have planes, you have two seats there, two or three, two there, and then you have a middle row with three seats. And I was on the aisle side in the middle tranche and it was an LL flight, an Israeli flight, and there was nobody in the middle seat. And then uh, the, the next seat away from me was a very young Jewish um, man who was obviously a student of the Torah. He looked Jewish. He had his, his ringlets and uh, uh, everything that suggested he was a student of the Torah. And, um, and I got into conversation with him. I was a little bit surprised. Um, being a Gentile, that he was interested in talking, but he was very, very friendly. Um, told me what he was doing, how long he'd been doing it, what his family thought about it. Um, and, and it was a very lovely conversation. And people were all coming into the plane. And uh, then an, a young woman came and said, excuse me, and went and sat in the middle seat. And I've never seen such a change come upon anybody in a public place. This young man who'd been so friendly and welcoming suddenly went into a rant and started commanding the air hostess to find another seat. I cannot sit next to this woman. And a complete, complete change of atmosphere took place. And uh, the air hostess had to try and kind of sort it out, but she said, I'm very sorry, sir, we have no other seats. And um, he went off stomping up and down the plane. And I sat there a little bit, kind of as you would probably, a little bit, oh my goodness me, what's going on? Um, and the woman who was come and sat next to me, uh, I can see her now. She was youngish, mid-twenties, um, and she curled up. 
she literally put her arms around her head like this on the table in front and almost hid herself. She just curled up. I thought it was with embarrassment to start with. Um, and to my amazement, I mean, he came and sat down because there was no other seat on the plane. To my amazement, she stayed like that for four and a half hours. And I didn't really know whether to say, I think the meals are coming round, but she was so curled up, so locked in, that I just felt I couldn't actually say anything or, or, or tap her. I didn't know whether she'd gone to sleep, but she was motionless, completely curled up. She had been publicly humiliated. It was exceedingly embarrassing for her. And it was as if God said to me, you know, so many in the world are just curled up. They may be walking around on the outside. They may look okay. They may be functioning. They can be teachers, doctors, dentists, care workers, but on the inside, they're curled up. They're curled up because of trauma, because of humiliation, because of broken relationships, because of all kinds of stuff. Just remember that story, because I'm going to come back to it. And we read Luke chapter 18 about a lady who was all curled up. Alison, would you feel like reading it for me? I, c I can lend you my... I can oh, there, there's another one. Oh, it's... Sorry, if you want to follow, it's 13. I'd rather you read that one if you wouldn't mind. It's from verse 10 down to 17. Thank you. Thank you. It's an amazing uh, reading, isn't it? The story of Jesus. I love stories about Jesus because he hasn't changed. He is doing the same today as he was years ago. And I'd like to really unpack this story for us. 
because it's a story where Jesus calls somebody. He calls somebody. But as we just dig into this account, I'd like us to imagine that we are in that synagogue. We are part of it. And so I want to just set the scene because this particular miracle happens in a synagogue. It's rather different from a Assemblies of God church as we know it, and it's certainly very different from a Catholic church. Um, what did I say Catholic for? An Assemblies of God or any style of church that we would um, appreciate now. Has anybody been in a, a synagogue in Israel? Yes. Smaller, narrower, quite long, built on the pattern of what the temple would have been. So uh, people would come into the outer courts and the further into the temple that you go, the holier it gets until the most holy place in the temple. But the synagogues were arranged so that right at the front of the synagogue, so you would have here, wouldn't be particularly raised, but at the front of the synagogue you would have whoever is teaching and then you would be surrounded by the rabbis, the most important elite within that particular group. And then you would have the Jewish men behind that congregating. And then there would be a barrier, a separation, some kind of demarcation point, sometimes a gallery. And behind the gallery would be any women that had chosen to attend the synagogue. That is still the case in Israel today. I have a dear friend called Galina, she's Russian, and she lives in Beersheba, husband really not very well, um, and she can't go to the synagogue anymore, her husband's too frail, and she can't support him because he's in the male section, because she's not allowed into the male section. And do often, often, the doorway entrance, we have one entrance here, often the entrance is different for the men as for the women, completely different entrance, so segregated. So here in this story on a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Okay, so have you got the scene? Jesus, surrounded by rabbis, teachers of the law, the men next huge bunch of group of listeners, segregation, and then the women. And it says here, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was in the women's section. You get the distance, don't you? She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now that means her physical appearance was completely bent, couldn't straighten up at all. So she saw life from this angle, from this angle, and walking was difficult, completely bowed down, couldn't straighten up at all. 
And Jesus clocked her. <laughs> Jesus spotted her. I find that thrilling. Because his focus wasn't on the elite. He spotted somebody. A woman in need. We don't know what had caused the crippling, do we? We don't know, actually, at the end of the story, what caused the crippling. But you know, folks are crippled these days. You know, the NHS is bursting with people who have all kinds of crippling conditions. All kinds. And Jesus spotted her. When Jesus saw her, I'm really praise God. Probably pretty well everybody's here today because at some point Jesus has seen you. At some point he's seen you. And you know there's a one-to-one -one with Jesus. Each one of us is called into that place with God. One-to-one. -one. That used to be scary to me. <laughs> I used to think, ooh, I don't mind hiding behind the crowd, but one-to-one. -one. Do you know eye contact with Jesus is the most life-giving thing in the world? To allow the Lord to just look right into your heart. Because his look is to bring reconciliation to himself. Sometimes we think Jesus went to the cross because we were so, so, so awful, and yes, sin abounded, but as if somehow God was making us acceptable. And there's an element of truth in that. But the Bible says God sent us his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, might be called in. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not himself to the world. Oh, I suppose I better love them. I better make it. Oh, so that I can. He so loves you. He so loves your husband. He so loves your children. He so loves the people that are on your heart that he sent his son to reconcile them to God. Now, that's a loving God, isn't it? That's a good God. And he spots this woman... And I want to just briefly, I'm a pastor and I believe in preaching the gospel and I believe that healing starts at the point when people receive Jesus. It's a journey into life. And actually, one of the, this parable, this story account is so precious to me because it's one of the clearest accounts of Jesus taking somebody through four stages of healing. Four stages of healing. The first one is he called her forward. He called her forward. Now we know what condition she was in, don't we? And we know she was actually right at the back of the synagogue. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't go to her because she'd have had difficulty moving. She'll be on the floor. Most of the seating was on the floor. So she had to, if she was going to respond to Jesus, pick herself up and move 
Jesus called her to where he was. Don't let's make the mistake of making everything so easy and diminish the power of the gospel. Jesus is of the most supreme value and he called her to him. And in order for her to move from where she was to reach him, she had to cross some boundaries. She had to cross some difficult taboos, actually. The first one was her physical condition. She had to, can you imagine the gasp in the synagogue? First of all, he's healing on the Sabbath. What's he going to do? Everybody, can you feel the tension suddenly like, hold your breath. (laughs) What's going to happen? And she's the center of attention. Is she going to respond or isn't she? So she must have got up. The first thing she overcame was the physical difficulty of picking herself up. The second difficulty was the embarrassment in front of everybody. Because when you're in that condition, you don't kind of dance in the front. You come in late and you try not to be seen. And I've often thought, you know, I wonder if she ever thought, I'll pick myself up and I'll go out of the women's section and then I'll scarp her. Because she went out of one door and she had to choose to break every religious barrier that had been set on her for years because women were not allowed in the men's section and yet Jesus had called her. So she had to cross a religious barrier And she had to cross a cultural barrier in order to reach him. I wonder how much silence there was, expectation as she went out of one door. Was she going to turn, come along and come in the next door? Praise God she did. We don't know whether she'd gone specifically because she heard Jesus was teaching or whether she was a regular I like to think that she was regular, you know, seeking God, being there, honoring God in spite of her disability, in spite of the pain, being there. And in that faithfulness, Jesus came, clocked her and said, come forward, come forward. How lovely. Have you heard the call of God? So she arrives at the front and he says to her, stage two, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Power of life and death lies in the tongue. And with the words of Jesus, we know that she was demonized. She had a spirit of infirmity because it says so later on. Jesus speaks the word that looses her. He speaks the word 
that loses her. Come on, church. Come on, church. We have to learn the power of what we're speaking. That we are a chosen priesthood. We are chosen people, a royal priesthood, to begin to use the word of God to loose those who are afflicted. We've got other terms now for sickness and depression and depression. We've got all kinds of terminologies that wrap it up, but I believe mankind is just the same. And the world needs a people who've been called by God, who then become part of his calling to our lost world. And he spoke the word. He loosed her from her infirmity. I remember the first time I took authority over a spirit of rejection. The first time I did it, I'd had a little bit of teaching about it, but I hadn't ever seen it happen. <laughs> and I was a young girl uh, who, who actually always felt like she didn't fit. She didn't fit. Took her on a narrowboat holiday with a youth group and found her crying in the corner of the boat. I said, what is it? She said, I don't know what it is. I just never, I know you love me, but up here, but I just can't feel it. And the Spirit of God said to me, there's a spirit of rejection sitting on her. I've given you some teaching, now do it. <laughs> so when I, I said to her, when we get back home, we'll have a little bit of prayer. And um, asked another very established Christian, but she'd never done it either. And uh, so... I said, can we just pray for you? So she said, yes. And I don't know why I did it. I said, could you, could you um, just stand up, please? So she did. And I said, do you mind if I put my hand on your tummy? So she said, no. So I put my hand on her tummy and I said, in the name of Jesus. And the scream started in her stomach. And the shriek left her stomach, came right up her airways, and went out through the ceiling. You could almost hear it. And I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's never happened the same again. But God, first, as I wanted to move by faith in the ministry of Jesus, he gave me the evidence of something happening. Thank you, Lord. And I wasn't quite sure whether to go, so I said, now we can have a cup of tea diminish it. Don't let the enemy have any glory. You know, when I was very little, a Cornish roadman, he spent his life working, cutting back the thistles in Cornwall off the roads before they had these big contractors to go and do it. But he loved the Lord. And he used to do little Bible studies in his home. And I remember I must have been about 13, and he said to me, Joy, you ever come against a demon, just tell it to go in the name of Jesus, and it'll be off. Now, we need to hear this, church, because there are such things as demonization. There's stuff entering our kids now in their junior schools and in their primary schools that are locking children into suicidal thoughts, and it, we know the source of it is in principalities and powers. 
And we have authority over these things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates for us here. He spoke the word. He said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And that spirit will have hopped it. They are invisible personalities that come and hook into people that cause them to think, what is this? It's not me. And they need loosing in the name of Jesus. And Jesus here, stage two. Stage one is the calling. Stage two, loosing. Stage three, he places his hands on her. She is made whole. You see, the demon had already left, but she is made whole with the laying on of hands. Just imagine it, 18 years, all you can see are the paving stones. Or you get a crick in your neck when you try and raise yourself up. And she straightened up immediately. Wow! Do you know, if that happened here, there'd be an uproar, wouldn't there? Wouldn't there be? celebration you are set free from your infirmity then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God look at the reaction of the Jewish community who probably knew this lady familiar with her you see the religious mindset locks people into a place where there's no compassion where there's no real knowledge of God because the rules say this is how you do it. And their whole identity was locked up in observing the Sabbath. So the fact that a woman who'd been subject to a spirit of infirmity for 18 years had got set free didn't feature, didn't penetrate because the lock-up on the law was so strong. Now Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So the law in itself is good and healthy and God-given. But man adds his own little regulations into it and makes a missioner of it and compounds it. So actually, it's almost impossible for people to keep everything that man has added to the principle that God has placed for his people. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And Jesus teaches in another place, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's not to throw the Sabbath out. That's to say it doesn't rule you in rigidity. It's there to be life-giving. Observe it. I feel rather sad that some Christians do their major shopping on a Sunday now. It's like we've lost some of the principle. We say, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Yes, it does. Jesus was not a lawbreaker. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And this is one of the most precious 
things about Jesus, stage four of healing. Stage four of healing is he actually recognizes and acknowledges her pain. He acknowledges her pain. He says, 18 long years. He knows. When you're in depression, when you're in pain, a minute feels like an hour. An hour feels like a week. And a week feels like a year. And Jesus here acknowledges, he knows, he knows 18 long years. But beyond that, he does something quite extraordinary. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Is there anywhere else where women are called a daughter of Abraham? You see, there's sons of Abraham. There are sons of Abraham, but I don't know anywhere else in the scripture. Tell me if I'm wrong. Fairly rare. And Jesus acknowledges that she is of the same standing as the rabbis who considered that they were sons of Abraham. He absolutely validates her identity as a daughter of Abraham. He's called her from the back row to the front. He's re-established her. And then he speaks that. Can you imagine how she felt? She's already been made upright. She's got rid of this oppressive pressure on her. And then into her innermost being, he affirms who she is. Have you ever had healing from Jesus? You had stage one, the call, stage two, the loosing, translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. Stage three, physical healing. Praise God, available as today as much as it was in those days. And fourth is God shows you your identity. Some of us have no idea who we are. Some of us have an inkling. We're all on a journey, aren't we? But you know, he raised her. He raised her. He affirmed her. He gave her standing again in the community. I love this. I absolutely love it. And when you're learning to minister to somebody, just understanding those stages of healing, that when people come to Christ and simply receive Jesus, it's just the beginning of a walk where the body of Christ can minister to people to bring, help bring them, disciple them into that place of fullness in Christ. I've been too ready historically to say, oh, it wasn't real. When people struggle significantly with stuff from their ancestry coming down those spiritual lines, they've been traumatized by something and they're locked in that. Have a woman in the church at the moment who has seen the whole world through her birth experience, rejected by her mother, bloodstream turned against her halfway through pregnancy, induced early, and when she was being born, you cannot describe the amount of chaos that was going on around her. So this little one being forcibly rejected by mum 
into a hostile world is trapped in that process where death sat on her from that point. And identifying the entry point, identifying the root is bringing her into complete freedom in Christ, soundly saved. But every time she gets under pressure, she retreats into that worldview. You know, we've, we've been simply made, but we're also complex, aren't we? And I think we've got to love one another and love Jesus and push the boundaries of limited relationships. It's lovely, Silas interviewing somebody this morning. That's just base one. Get to know beneath the surface. Start praying for one another, blessing one another, moving in the ministry of Jesus so that actually we don't just enjoy church together, but we actually become the body of Christ. You see, that's what Jesus was doing in his life. And if we're going to call ourselves his body, we need to be doing the same things, don't we? That's not to say everything's rubbish, that's not casting out demons and healing the sick. No, not at all. But you know, there is something in the calling of us to actually reach out into more than we've got, more than we've had. Push those boundaries of faith into what the Lord has really, really given us. I just want to go back to that little story that I said in the beginning. What was the point of it? The reason why this man reacted so badly to my lovely lady sitting next to me who curled up four and a half hours, didn't move, was because she was of an age when she may have been experiencing a monthly menstrual cycle. And under his teaching, she would have been unclean. So his rigidity in terms of not wanting to be contaminated by somebody meant his reaction was so extreme. I didn't realize straight away what it was about. I, had no, I was just a little bit baffled and overcome by it. And subsequently, I realized that I could have resolved that so easily. I believe the stuff around all of us that we could resolve very easily if we were prepared with the gospel readily. You see, I wasn't a threat to him. We'd had a really lovely conversation. I was beyond the age of childbearing and wasn't a risk. I could have said, excuse me, let me sit in the middle. You have my seat. He'd have been happy with that. He wasn't reacting to being female. He was reacting to young female who could have had a, men a monthly cycle. I could have resolved it by changing place. And many a time I've gone back, I've blessed this woman, I've prayed for her. And I thought, oh Lord, if only I'd been sharper. If only I'd been a little bit more switched on. If only I'd realized what it was about, I could have changed place. Problem solved. Now, Jesus changed place with us. Jesus himself changed place. 
You're in the place of judgment. I'm in the place of judgment because of my sin. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'll take your place. I'll pay everything that's necessary to secure you hearing God call you into relationship, into real proximity with the heart of God, intimacy with him. I'll take your place. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus has done it. Jesus has done it. And in that calling to follow him, I believe the Lord's calling us, are you willing to put your life on the line? Are you willing to engage in the same ministry that Jesus had for the sake of those who are curled up? They may not look it, you may be working with them and they look fine, but actually... There's an uncurling that God wants. There's the word that looses them. There's the ministry of touch. There's a ministry of grace. And there's an affirmation of the calling of God that God wants to use us for. I bless you with that. I just bless you with God imparting an appetite to see the supernatural afresh working in our individual lives nothing is impossible with God you may say oh well I'm not I'm not much good I haven't been saved long I don't really understand God chooses the weak and the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord in Southampton recently there was a young woman who was absolutely tormented would mess up her house mess up her bedroom nobody knew what to do with her somebody took her along to the community church thinking maybe somebody will know what to do looking to the leaders looking to the elders and a 12 year old young christian went up to her and said you're really unhappy aren't you would you let me pray for you went straight away 12 years old 12 years old simple faith in the authority of the word of God father would you impart to each one of us a, a, a desire and appetite Lord to know you beyond the boundaries of what we have known father that your word will become living reality Jesus to us that we will become those who minister in the life and power and authority of Jesus that's my prayer too I don't pretend to be there fully Lord but I thank you for every instance of your anointing of your grace and I thank you Lord that you want this church here to be a church moving with the supernatural power of God way beyond anything that has been experienced before Father thank you that you equip you empower you grace it is all about you and I thank you Father for these lovely folks here you initiate you initiate you call you call you set free you heal it is all about you but father we do offer ourselves in our hearts we offer ourselves and god say teach us empower us show us how lord that you may be glorified and that many, many, many of the people you're calling 
will be able to uncurl and know that you're a God who loves them and intervenes in their life for their blessing and healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.